I want to welcome you all to uh, Renaissance Church. My name is Jared Ott. I'm the executive pastor here. So uh, glad to be with you this morning. If you have been with us the past few weeks, you know that Christian did an amazing series on what the devil wants. I don't know about you, but I got so much out of that series. Yeah, let's thank Christian. All of he has, It was awesome. And I'm excited because Christian has preparing now uh, in two weeks for another great series that I know you'll be blessed because of it. The next two weeks, we're going to be turning our attention a little bit differently. In fact, Christian asked, you know, what would we preach on the next two weeks right after Easter? And I thought it's fitting that we talk about the encounters of the resurrected. We just came off of Easter and we talked about how Christ died for us, then rose again. And, and when he did throughout the Bible, we see that he encountered different people. He encountered Mary. He encountered the disciples. He encountered Thomas and he encountered Peter. And one of the things that we realize from the scriptures is that he encounters them in the emotions and feelings that they had at the time. In other words, he encountered them in their loneliness, in their grief, in their doubt, in their guilt, and in their fears. And so that's what we're going to look at the next few weeks or two weeks. We look at those encounters where Jesus comes and encounters us right where we are. I hope that he encounters you this morning right where you are. And we start with Peter, the guilt that Peter must have had. You don't know the story, but right before Christ was crucified, Peter was with him. He's one of his disciples, and he's following Jesus around, and he's, he's with Jesus all the way. And he even says to Jesus, listen, I'm never going to deny you. I'm always going to be there with you. I'm always, I'm never going to disown you. And, and Jesus says, you're going to disown me three times. If you remember the story, three times you're going to disown me before I die. And Peter says, there's no way. I'm not going to do it. And we remember that encounter uh, that happens with Peter. But he, he, he does. And he must have felt a lot of guilt at the time. We all felt guilt from time to time. We deal with stuff, don't we, that we got to face. Decisions that we made, bad decisions that we made in the past. I know I've made some bad decisions in the past. I've messed up. When I was 20, I was a youth pastor. And I remember taking uh, 50 middle school students up to Michigan. That could have been the biggest mistake of my life right there. But I took, we were going to take this trip. It was one of my first things I ever did as a youth pastor is take these students up to uh, Michigan. And the parents were trusting me to take all these kids up for a week. And it was a fantastic time. And I remember getting on the bus at the end of this long week. And it was a fantastic time. And I remember sitting next to my, the intern that was working with me. And I look out the bus and I see this pile of luggage, Right? And I turned to the inter intern and I said, some idiot youth pastor is going to leave all their kids' luggage up here at this camp, right? Because there's a bunch of other churches there. So then we start singing, you know, all the way back. We're, you know, we're singing the songs that we do 15 hours later. And, and uh, we get back to the church. And uh, I remember it so clearly. I open up the bottom of the bus, right? The intern on the other side opened up the other side. And the only thing we saw was each other, right? <laughs> and I thought, that's me. I am the idiot youth pastor, right? So the thing that I thought, I panicked. I said, I got to go face, the, you know, there's 50 kids there, there's 100 parents, some. So I thought the best thing to do was blame the intern, right? <laughs> so it was his, no, I didn't do it. I remember going out and I, I had to face it. I, I came around the side of the bus and I said, uh, um, I, I, I got a confession. I, uh, I left all your luggage 15 hours away. And the sheer terror that came over those kids' faces. I mean, bawling girls on their knees, crying out to God that they lost all their luggage. I thought the apocalypse was happening, right? And I remember coming clean and, and, and saying, listen, I'm sorry. 
I made a mistake. You got to forgive me. And I remember one parent came up to me so clearly. And they looked at me and said, Jared, don't let this one failure make you feel like you're a flop. In other words, you got to keep leading. You got to keep going. You got to keep serving. And I remember that stuck with me because I thought, man, if I would have felt like, man, I could never lead again, never, never do anything again, I, I, I would have never have been in ministry. I kind of wonder if Peter felt like that. You know, when Peter denied Christ and then Christ was crucified, afterwards, if he had this, any kind of guilt that came over him. And Peter was there. Christ is going to be crucified. He's, he's, he's on trial and three different people come up to Peter and say, hey, listen, don't you, aren't you with Jesus? Weren't you the guy we saw with Jesus earlier? And three times Peter says, I don't know who he is. I don't know who he is. And then all of a sudden the rooster crowed. And we see in Luke twenty two sixty one, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Ah, the guilt. The guilt of saying, you know what, I could have been with Jesus, I could have aligned with him, but I didn't. How many of us at times could have said, you know what, I had an opportunity with my friends, my family, the people at my workplaces or my schools where I could have talked to them about Jesus. I could have mentioned that I know the Lord. I could have helped them deal with the pain they're going through. I could have pointed them to the Lord. How many times did we say, you know what, I'm just not going to do it? That's what Peter did. You know, Christian was talking about uh, taking a trip to uh, the Holy Land, which is a fantastic trip. And there's a place that we go when we take this trip. It's called the Church of St. Peter in Galicantu, and it looks like this. It's right in Jerusalem, right in the old city, okay? This is the place that they've built a church over top of it, but this is the place where Jesus was on trial, and we see the pit that he goes down into, and they see, we see the place where he was tortured, and we see the place where he was on trial with folks. Right there is where it happened. And in the courtyard of this church, St. Peter of Galicantu, there is a huge statue, 10 feet tall, of Peter disowning Christ. And as you see it, there's a rooster on top of it, there's Peter, there's the guard, there's the woman, there's the young girl. And at the bottom of that, if you see it real close, it says, non Novi alum, which is Latin for, I do not know him. Now, when you're there and you see this huge statue, you're, you're, immediately, you're immediately brought back to the fact that right there is where Peter disowned Christ. I actually remember being there. And the one time we were there, we were, we were talking about that, that place. We were reading scripture. And I am not kidding you, the rooster crowed at the same time. There are roosters right around there. It happens. Non novi alum. And I look at that picture and I think, you know, and you might look at that picture too, at that statue and go, you know what? At least I didn't do that, right? Because we kind of feel better about ourselves and go, well, at least I didn't disown Jesus. In fact, I felt so good at that place, the statue, I took a selfie right next to it, right? There's me with the thumbs up, right? Because I feel so good, right? It's the same reason I watch cops because it reminds me of the good decisions I've made, right? But we look at these pictures and we go, well, at least I didn't do that, right? Can you imagine having a statue? Somebody throughout history thought, yeah, I have a great idea. Let's make a statue of the greatest mistake that somebody has ever made. Let's make it 10 feet tall, right? And we laugh at that and we think, but how horrible. What if they made a statue of every place that you've messed up? 
What if they made a statue of any time that you made a mistake, anything that you did wrong, what if there was a statue there? Here's where little Timmy lied to his parents. Here's where Erica cheated on her test. Here's where Johnny stole that candy from the store. Or maybe as we get older, they get a little heavier. Here's where Becky first tried that drink. Here's where Chris first took that, that puff of marijuana. Here's where John and Jane first fought over money, which led to the divorce. This is the point right here. This is where Tom became obsessed with his job and lost his family. This is where Bill started getting hooked on pornography. What if there's a statue of, and this is where Amy first texted that man that led to the affair. What if there were statues all over the place of places where we messed up? Must be horrible. I wonder if Peter in heaven is saying, oh God, when you make a new heaven and new earth, you think you could, the statue, you think you can like knock it down for all the world to see? You see, we manage our guilt in different ways too, don't we? We manage our guilt in different ways. A lot of us have made bad decisions in the past and we manage it. In counseling, we talk about this. There's really 10 different ways that we manage our guilt, and it's unhealthy, each one of them. We've done things in the past. We first want to deny it. We pretend it never happened. We have a plan to cover up the bad choice. One lie leads to another, which leads to another. Some of us minimize it. We minimize the bad decisions we made. We didn't sin. We just lost our way, right? Got caught up in the moment. It was a, it was a lapse in judgment, we'll say. Some of us bury it. We suppress the guilt beneath work and jobs. The busier we are, the less time that we spend with other people that we can be dishonest. We punish ourselves too, don't we? We punish ourselves. We beat ourselves. We cut ourselves. We hurt ourselves. Priests used to flog ourselves. We exchange now the whips for rules, don't we? We say, listen, if I can pray more, study more, give more, I'm all good. We also numb it. We numb it. We go for that bottle of vodka, an hour of internet pornography, a rendezvous at the motel. We, we numb it. We, some of us avoid the mention of it altogether. We don't tell our friends. We don't tell our family. We don't tell the pastor. We just kind of keep it on the surface. We have very surface level things in life. Some of us redirect it. We lash out our kids. We take it out on our spouses. We yell at the employees or the driver. We feel so guilty that we just start lashing out. Some of us offset it. We never make a mistake again. We try to be perfect in every single way. We build the perfect family. We build the perfect career, perfect score. We try to be the perfect Christian. No, no slip-ups. Some of us try to normalize it. We'll say, you know what? It's normal. It's really not that bad. Everyone else is doing it. It's fine. After all, if it helps us make it through the day, then it's okay. And the worst is we embody it. We say, you know what? We don't get drunk. We are drunk. We, we don't screw up. We are screw-ups. We don't just do bad. We are bad to the bone, bad to the core of ourselves, and we do these heinous things in life. You see, there's a big difference when we talk about guilt and shame. You can look at your past life and realize you've made bad mistakes. That's guilt. That's okay because we can come to a place where we can face it, confess it, and release it. The problem is when guilt turns into shame is when it becomes a problem. Shame says, listen, 
I am the mistake. Guilty says, I made a mistake. Shame goes one step further and says, I am a mistake. Guilt will say, you know what? I've done some wrong things. Shame says, I can never do good again. I could never serve. I can never be a good father. I never could be a good wife. Never could be, could be a good parent. Why? Because I am a mistake. Guilt turns to shame, and that's what kills people. So grateful that Peter didn't let his guilt turn into shame. I read a story once of a girl named Rebecca Thompson. It said Rebecca Thompson fell from the Fremont Canyon Bridge twice and died both times. See, when Rebecca was young, she was kidnapped. And her and her sister Amy were kidnapped. And the kidnappers abused the girls. They had them captivity for a long time. And then they drove them to the Fremont Bridge and threw them both over the bridge. Rebecca's sister landed on a rock and died immediately, but Rebecca fell into the water and lived. But as Rebecca came out of that, she had so much guilt because she felt like she could never save her sister. It's what we call survivor's remorse. And the guilt led to this shame in her life that she felt like she was ultimately forever a mistake in life. So 19 years later, she went to the same bridge and threw herself off. They say the first fall broke her heart and the second fall broke her neck. Why? Because guilt leads to shame and we get into a points in life where we just don't feel like we can do anything. We either numb it, we try to suppress it, we deny it. Sometimes it kills us. That's exactly what happened with Peter and Judas. If you remember this with Peter, Peter denies Christ. So does Judas. Judas denies Christ too. He disowns him. He's the one who sold him. Except Judas's guilt killed him. He went out and committed suicide. Peter said, you know what? No, and he got restored. And that's what we're gonna find here today. Peter was restored. Understand that the main point of this statue, when you see that, it's Peter's restoration. It's, it, the statue doesn't remind us of the guilt. It reminds us of the restoration that can occur. I hope this morning is that when you look at your own life and you think about those statues you pass, that you can remember that there's restoration there, that there's healing there, that, that there's grace that washes us clean. Peter was loyal from a distance, wasn't he? We give him a hard time. We look at that statue and go, oof, man, I can't imagine Peter doing that. I can't imagine doing that. But Peter was there, wasn't he? He was following, but he was following from a distance. But Peter knew Peter knew that he had to come clean. He wasn't going to be like Judas where it's going to lead him to death. He understood he's, he's got to come clean. He's got to face it. He's got to face it. One of the reasons that we start with Peter, there's, when we talk about the encounters of the resurrected, there was a lot of encounters. As I mentioned, Mary and, and Thomas, the disciples. But one of the things that hit me a few years ago was when Mary goes to the tomb and the tomb we see was rolled away, that Jesus conquered death, that he rose from the grave. We talked about that last week. There's a verse in there that I always find fascinating because it's what Jesus, what was said to Mary at that tomb. It says in Mark 16, 7, it says, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going ahead of you into Galilee. So the first thing that's heard at the grave, at the, at the tomb, is go tell his disciples and Peter he's going ahead of you into Galilee. I thought, I read that a number of times, and I thought, well, wait a second. Wasn't Peter a disciple? Why would you say, why would you say go tell the disciples and Peter? Peter already is a disciple. 
Why make emphasis on something unless you need to draw emphasis to something, right? Go tell his disciples and Peter, and then it hit me, that, that Jesus didn't come for the people that were perfect, that he came for the people that had made mistakes in the past. Go tell his disciples and Peter. The whole of heaven knew that Peter made a mistake. Everybody knew that there was a denial that happened. And here's where it hits us, that we realize that there's a, this is the gospel of second chances right here. There's not many second chances in life, is there? We hear it all the time. This is, it's now or never, right? Around here, we don't tolerate incompetence. Not much room at the top. Three strikes and you're out. Some of us are longing for a second chance. Some of us are longing to go back to the time when things were okay. Go tell the disciples and Peter. And Jesus' answer to Peter was the same as that parent's answer to me. He said, listen, don't let a bunch of failures tell you that you're a flop, Peter. The message came loud and clear to Peter. Go tell Peter he gets to bat again. Even though he struck out, tell him he gets to bat again. That I got a big plan for him. A huge plan for him. This is the encounter Jesus, that, that happens with Jesus. He encounters Peter at the point of guilt. He encounters you here today. Understand that this is a reminder that Jesus is here not for the perfect, for the, those that need him most. Peter knew he had to face it. He knew he had to deal with it. Peter knew because there was a time before that Peter was with Jesus and his disciples in the upper room. And Jesus is there washing the feet of all the disciples. And he's washing the feet of all the disciples before his death. And he comes up to Peter and Peter says, no, Lord, don't wash my feet, right? He says, don't wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then the Lord said, the, the Lord said, then Simon said, not just my feet, but my head as well. Wash all of me. Peter understood that, listen, if you're not going to present your feet to be washed, they can never be clean. You see, a lot of us will go through life and understand that we've made some bad decisions, that we have been sinning, that we're in addictions, that we've made some wrong choices, but until we present them to Jesus, he can't wash them clean. It's one thing to know that you're guilty. It's another thing to face it. That's what we got to do first. We've got to face it. We got to face our guilt we got to face the fact that, listen, we have sin in our life. And we got to come clean. Peter knew that. Later on in John, after Jesus had been resurrected, the disciples are back fishing. They're back fishing, and Jesus is on the shore, and they're not catching much fish. And so Peter, uh, Jesus yells out to the disciples. He says, hey, throw your nets on the other side. And they throw their nets on the other side, and they have this huge thing of fish that come up. And someone says, you know what? That's Jesus, right? They say to, they say, they say to Peter, hey, that's, that's Jesus. And in John 21, 7, as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken off, and he jumped in the water. I love it. He doesn't even wait for the boat to get back. He just jumps in the water. He goes right back to Jesus. One of the most difficult journeys that you'll ever go on in life is going back to the place where you failed. Going back to the, the, the spouse that you failed, the wife that you failed, the husband that you failed. Going back to the place where you failed your children, back to the place where you failed uh, as a boss, back to those places. One of the hardest things people do is come back into a church knowing that they failed. 
Peter had to go back to Jesus. But he realized he's got to go face it. He's got to go face it. I hope this morning when we think about things that we've done in our past, that we go, you know, I'm going to face it. It's just me and Jesus. He's looking straight at you this morning. It's interesting, too, because this story of the account of Jesus on the shoreline telling the disciples to throw their nets over the, on the other side has happened before. Jesus had told them that before. They were out there fishing, and Jesus had said, said the same thing to them. He said, throw your nets on the other side. So Peter's back exactly where he was when he first encountered Jesus. He's back in the same spot. The difference is he's a different Peter. You see, a lot of us will go back to our jobs that we have or our failed, or our, our marriages that are a mess or issues that we have in life. Our jobs, our situations don't necessarily change, but we're changed because we've had an encounter with Jesus Christ. We understand that's where the grace comes. So Peter, not the same person, plunges right into the water and starts heading for the land. Oh man, Peter must have known. Time to come clean. It's time to stop living with that guilt in our life, living with past mistakes, it's time to come clean. Gotta face it, gotta face it. And Jesus is there and there's a, there's a rock there and it says Jesus is preparing some hot coals. And if you go to Israel, we have a chance to go on the Sea of Galilee. We get on a boat, and we go across the Sea of Galilee to a town called Togba. And on the town of Togba, there's another church there. And it's called the Church of the Primacy of Peter. And this church is built over a rock. And this rock has significance because they believe that's the rock that Jesus was preparing breakfast for the disciples. It's also the rock that they believe that Jesus made his miracle of dividing the loaves and the fish. But it's called the primacy of Peter. Why? Because that is where Peter was restored. He crosses a seed. He goes there. And now it's just him and Jesus. Jesus knows that he had messed up. Jesus knows that you've messed up too. He's looking right at Peter just as he's looking right at you. And he, there's this dialogue that happens in John 21. It says this, So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things, you know I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Now, this, this restoration is amazing because there's three times of denial and there's three questions that are asked. But if you look at the Greek, it's very interesting because Jesus uses a different word for love than Peter's response of love. So when Jesus asks Simon Peter, do you love me? He's asking Peter, he uses the Greek word for agape. It's an unconditional love. Unconditional love, do you love me? But Peter responds with, yes, Lord, I love you. But he uses the phileo love, which is the, the friendly kind of love. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. So Jesus asks him a second time, Simon, do you love me? The unconditional love. And Peter responds again, once again, with that, that friendly kind of love. But then Jesus asks him a third time. He asks him, phileo, do you love me? And Peter responds, yes, I love you. 
And what he's trying to do is stretch Peter to move him to the point of phileo to agape love using the same terminology. What he's doing is saying, do you love me unconditionally? Are you willing to follow me, Peter? Do you love me? Do you love Jesus this morning? Do you understand that he died for you? That he went to the cross for you, that he took your sin to the cross so that you can be wiped clean. That's why I love what it says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness or purify us from all unrighteousness. My hope this morning is that you feel purified from your sin. Confession is coming clean to God. It's presenting your feet to be washed. David knew that when he dealt with Bathsheba and he, the guilt that came over David after he had, had, had this interaction with Bathsheba. He said in Psalm, he says, I confess my sin to the Lord and I stopped trying to hide my guilt, he says. I said, I will confess my rebellion to God and you forgave me. And David says, my guilt is gone. Paul said the same thing in Philippians 3, 9. Now I'm right with God, not because I followed the law, but because I believe in Christ. You see, Peter then is given this huge task to go tend my sheep, tend his sheep. In other words, Peter is charged with going and and being the leader of the church. If Peter was still in his guilt, he would never have gone out and done what Christ was asking him to do. Some of us get stuck in this, this, this trap of feeling so guilty that we could never get out of it so we can never do anything for the Lord. We can't give, we can't serve, we can't tell others about Christ, and it's a prison that we're in. Some time ago, I read a story of a youngster who was shooting rocks with a slingshot. He could never hit his target, and as he returned to his grandma's backyard, he spied her pet duck. On an impulse, he took aim and let it fly. The stone hit, and the duck was dead. The boy panicked and hid the bird in the woodpile, only to look up and see his sister watching. After lunch that day, Grandma told Sally to help with the dishes, and Sally responded, Johnny told me he wanted to help with the dishes today, didn't you, Johnny? She whispered, remember the duck. What choice did he have for the next several weeks? He was at the sink often, sometimes for his duty, sometimes for his sin. Remember the duck, Sally would say. So weary of the chores of washing dishes, he decided that any punishment was better than washing more dishes. So he confessed to his grandmother on killing the duck. And the grandmother's response was surprising to him. She said, I know, Johnny. Giving him a hug. I was standing at the window and saw the whole thing. Because I love you, I forgave you. I was just wondering how long you would let Sally make a slave out of you. That's what Satan likes to do. He likes to make us feel this guilt of our past that we could never serve, never do anything, never ever use our gifts for the Lord. And what Peter's restoration shows us is that we can be washed clean. We can be washed clean. You first have to face it though. We first have to confess it. But ultimately this is we have to release it. You gotta release it. Jesus goes on to Tell Peter about all the great things he wants Peter to do. And in John 21, 19, he said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. He said to him, follow me. He says, follow me. He says, you gotta, you gotta leave it, Peter. You gotta leave it. 
He's looking at you this morning and saying, look, despite your past, you got to leave it. You got to let it go. That's what Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. This not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, so that no one could boast. Grace is what we need. In the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our brokenness, grace is what we need. It's not about earning something or deserving it. It's the opposite of karma. Karma is getting what we deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. We deserve death. We deserve to be permanently separated from Christ. But because he went to the cross, that's why we're saved. We're saved through faith. Not of yourselves. It's the gift of God so that no one could boast. Can you imagine if it was all about earning it? How much proud we'd be. How boastful we would be about earning grace. No, this is grace. Grace is a free gift as long as we're willing to accept it. Peter went on, understood that grace, and went on to do great things. I hope you could release it here this morning. In a few minutes, gonna, band's going to come and, and lead us in a song about grace. It's grace like an avalanche. It comes over us. And I remember talking to a gentleman probably about a year ago now, and he came to me in my office, and he was telling me that he, he said he... He got caught um, having an affair. He basically was putting himself out there on the internet saying he was single and somebody approached him and so he had been having an affair for about six months. His wife found out, his kids found out, now he feels like his life is a mess. And I remember sitting down with him and I said, have you, have you come to Jesus with this? He said, yeah, I, I, I faced it. And I confessed it. I said, next, you need to release it. You can't try to keep doing good things to earn back God's grace because it's adding more to what Jesus already did for us. It's saying that his grace isn't sufficient for us. I said, you got to release it. And it was interesting as we come to the communion table, this, uh, have communion this morning, I, I remember talking with him and we were having communion that week as well. And I said, you're going to be there on Sunday. You gonna be there for communion? He said, ah, Jared, I don't think I can come to communion. I don't think I lived a life that I should come to communion. I said, but wait a second. You've already faced it. You've already confessed it. You've already released it. Why would you not want to be there? And he said, I just, holding on to it, I said, that's your problem. You haven't released it. You've, you might have fested. You might have confessed it, but you're still holding on to it. Jesus isn't here for the perfect. He's here for those that are broken. That's why we come to the communion table because we remember what he did for us on the cross. And so I looked at him. He was in my office. I said, you better get yourself to communion this Sunday or I'm going to come to your house and I'm going to kick your, and I, I said rear end at the time. I didn't feel very pastoral, but I was so passionate because I said, listen, the communion table isn't for the people that are perfect. It's for the people that realize that they had sin that Christ already went to the cross for, that grace washed them clean because they've confessed it to the Lord and the Lord took it away. That's why we come. So he was there at communion. I remember he came with tears in his eyes. I was so happy to see him there because he needed communion more than anybody. When you look at that statue of Peter, you see that statue of Peter ever again. I want you to think that that statue has nothing to do with what Peter did. It has everything to do with what Christ has already done. 
When you look at yourself in the mirror tomorrow or today, when you look at yourself, you don't look at somebody who's a failure or a flop. You look at somebody who says, this is what Christ has already done for me. It's not about what you've done. It has everything to do with what Christ has done. Isaiah 118 says this, come now, let us settle the matter. Let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. I hope this morning that you can come and can settle this matter. I've been studying theology 15 some plus years throughout school and grace is one of those things that's hard to understand. But this is one thing I do know about grace. Is that it meets us where we are but does not leave us where it found us. It meets us where we are but doesn't leave us where it found us. I hope grace meets you where you are this morning that you leave here a different person knowing that the grace washed over you like an avalanche. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thanks for today. Thank you that Peter was restored. Thank you that we can come to you and that you can wipe us clean. But Lord, help us this morning as we sit here face to face, just you and us, as you peer into our hearts. Lord, help us to release those things to you. Help us to confess it. Help us to let go of those things from their past and use us mightily come to the communion table, Lord. Help us to remember what you did for us. You died on the cross. You rose again. We thank you. We give you all the praise and all the glory. We thank you for the grace you showed us. In